0: Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and I always love to give you a little update so you know what's coming up, even though you have to hang in for the first part. Um, But later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering how you can hear from God about next steps to take, even when your heart is hurting from some unanswered questions. So one of our counselors, John Thorrington, is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, we have Pastor Tim Ross here to discuss uh, what it means to upset the world for Jesus. Uh, He actually uses the term upset in his most recent book. So what, are we just making everyone mad Yeah, you know, some of us are, but that's not what he means. (laughs) So um, we're going to talk with him about uh, the impact that he and uh, those in his church are having on their community and really how it all points back to Christ. So... Here we are for our round table, and uh, we like to, from time to time talk about marriage prep issues and of course dating and what that looks like and how we trust God in the season we're in, um, while we'll still being hopeful for marriage if that's in God's plan for us. And so we're going to have a conversation around that specifically around what does it look like to want to be married versus just kind of obsessing about being married? So you're all kind of defining this in your heads right now, (laughs) because you all know other people who obsess about marriage. You know, of course, it's not you. But so we had to bring uh, three experts uh, to the table. (laughs) Our own James is here. Hey, James. Hello. And we've got Paul and Jessica here. Hey, y'all. Hey, Lisa. Awesome to have you. Okay, well, we're going to we're going to kick this off with just talking about kind of your own thoughts. Like, think back. um, I want to say James and Paul are both married. Um, but they're going to have to reach back into their memories about any obsessive thoughts they had around getting, uh, getting to marriage. But what when you hear that kind of this idea or you see it play out in the culture or maybe among your friends or people you see in your church, what's the general vibe that you get about the obsessing versus like, hey, I'd like to get married kind of situation?
1: Well, I went to Bible college. So ring by spring was, you know, that's how it worked there. Um, I think what I saw a lot was just people kind of putting that as their primary focus um, above a lot of other important things like their spiritual development and growth and everything. Uh, No, it was instead like, let's find a wife or a husband. And that just took up a lot of time. It took up a lot of energy for people. And I would say that was more obsessive than a desire.
0: Yeah, that's
2: good. Yeah, I also went to a a Christian college, and I can't tell you how many jokes were made about women going to a Christian school to get their MRS degree. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it, it really just felt like, every single decision, every single interaction was like, it was calculated to, okay, if I want to meet, you know, this person and and try to get them to notice me. And like, it really was just a time consuming endeavor.
3: Uh, Lisa, I spent some time at BYU uh, in grad school. And, uh, you know, that's a, a very unusual type of campus, because most of those kids at school are either uh, married already or wanting to be married. And so there are baby carriages all over campus in the cafeteria, in the commons area. And so you're, um, it's very, very ever present.
0: Yeah, well, that's yeah, that is so interesting. It's it's funny to me, though, because I think to myself, I okay, first of all, I too went to a private Christian school. I dropped a lot of cash on a degree and came out single. And so clearly, I missed out. Yeah, whatever. what did you do wrong? Lisa? Was, <laughs> I was, I've, <laughs> I've wondered ever since, James, honestly. Um, But it's kind of funny because I wonder, like, where does this feeling come from, this, like, need to hurry towards marriage? Because I almost feel like now parents are kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum of, like, don't get married too soon or make sure you know what you're doing or make sure you have a great job before you do it. So where do you think this sense of urgency has come from?
3: Well, you know, I I, I was raised in a family. I'm the youngest of five kids. I know, like you, you have a big family, too. and, Mm -hmm. And I... I was sort of in this paradigm where you, you go to college and then you get married. That's the way everybody in my family did it, mm-hmm. uh, 20, 22, 23. And so for me, I, that's how I was thinking. And mm-hmm. I thought, uh, you know, I found a, a girl that I liked in college and we began dating. And uh, I really thought we needed to get married. And she cho- she felt differently towards the end of school. Uh, But it was it's sort of that paradigm that I grew up in that this is what you do. And Mm -hmm. this is the this is the schedule you need to be on. Yeah, I think for me, you know, it was around 2010
1: when I started college. So it was almost on that. I don't know. Well, I've heard from our interns that the purity culture thing was still a big deal. So that courtship mentality that everything has to be very, very intentional. And I feel like in 2010, there was still kind of the leftovers from that, you know, 2000s, 90s purity culture. That was really about every interaction has to be intentional. If it's not intentional, why are you even talking to this girl? Um, So I feel like there was a lot of that present in my experience.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's good that you say that because that kind of brings me to my next question. Because, you know, we talk a lot about intention here at Boundless. So it's not like it's all bad, but where does it cross the line? So like what, when you think of the difference between just simply wanting to be married and having a good desire and being good intentional <laughs> towards marriage versus getting a little weird about it and prioritizing it wrong. What does that tell me what that looks like? Like, how would that play out in in someone's life?
2: When I kind of think about this, I, I kind of think of the difference between what is the mentality of what can I do to get married versus what can I do to be more marriageable? And. Um, and I think, you know, what can I do to get married? You're obsessing over this this goal, this ideal. Whereas what can I do to be more marriageable? It puts the onus a little bit on you. And like, what am I doing to grow myself, grow my relationship with God, um, meet other people, volunteer, you know, minister, all these things that, number one, will put you in contact with people that you might potentially marry someday. But, like, the focus is not on that. It's on how can I bring my best self to this. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: feel like there's also this sense of again, maybe uh, misplacing where your identity is, like the idea of like, I need this in order to be okay, in order to be accepted, in order to be on, you know, to Paul's point, the right course. Um, You know, we kind of think like, we're clamoring for all this stuff to add to our lives. And in doing that, we're so looking into the future for what we don't have that we're really not living life now and or maximizing what God has for us to do now. So that's where it can get problematic.
3: I, I remember somebody giving me the advice that, you know, if, if, when you're asked in a job interview, what's your weakness? You should always talk about a strength that you've taken to the extreme, <laughs> because then it looks like you're ambitious and you're, uh, you know, perhaps not as pathetic as you very well may be. And I think of that in terms of uh, pursuing marriage, because it's it's one thing to want to be married, like you say, Um, But, you know, probably one of the great lies I think that we hear about in culture is how my spouse uh, completes me. I've never really been a big fan of that theory. Um, If you come into a relationship, I think, expecting another person to complete you, I think you're going to be woefully disappointed. Um, Only Christ completes us. The other person is sort of additive. And um, if you're expecting someone to meet those needs, you'll be frustrated and you'll probably drive them uh, out the door as well.
2: Mm Yeah, I had a, a mentor one time um, tell me, you know, one of the best things that you can do if you want to get married is pray for your future spouse and just pray that God is growing them and God is readying them to meet you. Um, that way, you know, you're not two broken people thinking, oh, this will fix me. You're whole individuals coming together to make a new whole. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about a couple
0: of the stereotypes here, because I want to get just kind of like down and dirty, practical with this. Because, okay, let's just be honest. Um, Okay, Paul, you referenced your college relationship, but I know, you know, you and I have worked in the same place for a long time. Um, You basically snatched one of my employees out from under me to marry her. Um, you dated people at work Uh, James you literally like scammed on your wife in an online class let's just be honest about that that's correct Um, (laughs) so guys it seems like end up getting this whether right or wrong stereotype of like being you know if they're asking women out or you know trying to kind of find who's a good fit they get the stereotype of being a player or being you know whatever women get the stereotype of being too desperate too needy too forward or whatever and we have to kind of rail against that to whatever degree we do. What how can we buck those stereotypes and do this well because I think it kind of paralyzes people into inactivity because they don't want to be labeled something. But then, you know, then they get back into what James was talking about of just like, well, I can't even approach her or I better not ask her to coffee unless I'm pretty sure we could get married. So where do we find the balance?
1: That is a fantastic question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Boundless's ministry would just end if we were able to
3: answer that in like a succinct sentence. And it's just like, okay, here we'll, you go, guys. We'll
0: work our ways up, <laughs> our way out of a job, James.
3: I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes down to forging a friendship before you try and forge a romance. I mean, Lisa, I when I, met, when I snatched your uh, publicist, <laughs> I was really sort of at the end of my rope when it came to dating. I had dated a lot of uh, women and tried a lot of different uh, approaches, and it was just kind of every time it seemed to just end uh, in, you know, misery. And so with, with Julie, I, I, you know, she was new to town and I legitimately just thought, you know what, uh, she doesn't know anybody. So I'm just going to be friendly to her. And it just sort of, it grew from there. It was not, oh, this is a, you know, a plot, a, a big plot and a big plan, but it just, it kind of happened. And I think it, it sort of happened because I stopped trying to, you know, to follow the formula and, um, you know, do every, do every right thing when it comes to dating yeah and to to be fair uh my wife
1: initially thought i was kind of pathetic because i had a funny facebook picture saying single unavailable um as my profile <laughs> picture like i was holding a sign saying that but she didn't know it was part of the context of all my family was holding up signs of like life achievements and that was my funny one so out of context she's like man this dude looks desperate and sad um but initially that's how it started too it was a friendship more so she wasn't Interested. She thought all my Facebook pictures looked very sad because I wasn't smiling. Um, but one time she had a theological question because we were in class together and she messaged me and things just got going. Um, and then we figured out, oh, you know, we, I think we're pretty compatible. Um, so let's see what happens. So I think, yeah, if we can learn how to seek friendship, but also, you know, not assume if someone's going to do that, oh, are you guys dating? Like that's just, always the assumption like oh they're they're spending time together they're definitely dating there's something happening it's like can we learn how to be friends but also to let other people be friends without making a whole bunch of assumptions around that
0: Mm -hmm. so how do you make to your point about friendship um you know and all of you can respond to this how do you actually find ways to make friends with the opposite sex without one every second step second guessing yourself could this be the one could this turn into something more blah 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 or you know letting them fall into that trap where all of a sudden you're kind of like giving them the wrong idea and you're just kind of like I'm just trying to be friends but you know let's hold out and wait and see and then they're like you know no let's pick out China Um, what (laughs) how do you find the balance there
1: I feel like group settings are really helpful for that I mean to at least initially get started um, me and my friends almost always hung out, like every week we'd hang out in a group. Um, you know, one guy would host a barbecue at his house and we'd invite just kind of all the people we knew. So we formed this kind of large group of friends, uh, and there were guys and girls there and I got to know a lot of girls very well. Um, but there was no one I necessarily saw potential on there. And that was almost <laughs> refreshing in a way I could have a group of friends where, I didn't have to feel pressured that, oh, yeah, I'm going to, like, date someone from this group. So if you can start with a group and then kind of learn how to make friends with opposite gender there, I think that could be a helpful thing.
2: I think the, the advice that I hear a lot from people who are married is when you stop looking for married, that's when you meet your spouse. And I think that there there is definitely, I think, some truth in that. But, um, it, yeah, it, it really is just kind of letting go of – the intention behind your interactions being you know will this win me a spouse it's just it's being friendly for the sake of being friendly and saying hey this person is new in town let me just show them around you know show them some cool places to go just out of the goodness of your heart not oh maybe this will lead to something
3: yeah i mean c.s lewis <clears throat> talked about friendship right and he said it's when you look at something or and you say what you you too you know like you find that commonality and I mean, with, with my wife, I, 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 mean, this sounds really corny, but I, I started just by like literally clipping articles that I thought she would find interesting. I knew she liked music. I knew she liked cooking, traveling. And so that was just my way of communicating to her. Like, I'm thinking about you. Um, and I know that you like these things. We're not dating, but I just, you know, this is, this is, these are my interests too. And so it, uh, it, it's just a nice little gesture.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, it's funny, Jessica, when you were saying that about, you know, a lot of a lot of single adults will say, oh, that's like the worst platitude. You know, when people say when you stop looking, then God's going to find like it's some kind of bait and switch or something. But I was just thinking about that. And it's almost like the true part of that is that whenever we're trying to fabricate something or trying to force something, we're just not our true self. So when you take the pressure off and you can just be you, then you're going to attract the people that are attracted to you not to the weirdo persona you're trying to put on to be more, as you said, marriageable. And so I think it does just allow you to relax and kind of be like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going about my business. I'm doing my life, you know, I'm doing whatever. And I think it's still okay to, um, you know, to again, to desire marriage and to pursue marriage and date people and stuff in that context. So that's good.
1: Yeah, I'd say one of my favorite quotes is from Lao Tzu, who says, Discontent is the greatest curse. And I love that quote because it's true. You know, if you're discontent just in life, things are going to not go so well for you. You're just going to be unsatisfied with everything. If we learn to be content, if we learn to be thankful, then like you were saying, Lisa, we learn how to be ourselves. And we can just enjoy life. And then when someone sees that and something happens naturally that's you know a great thing and I think it's much better than trying to force something to happen
0: yeah okay so married guys give your perspective What's something looking back now what would you have done differently about your dating experience or pursuit of marriage or even acknowledging like the desire for marriage
3: well I mean what James just said about being yourself is is to me spot-on when I broke up with my college girlfriend you know I was pressing her well what is it about me that you don't like and she had like a you know not a laundry She's list like to... that right yeah <laughs> well so I was asking her and so she gave me these things and so I literally I remember I always wore on contacts she said she liked intellectual men who wore glasses which sounds kind of goofy but I literally stopped wearing contacts and started wearing glasses I changed the types of clothes I wore uh, she she liked uh, indie rock and I was not into that, but I remember I bought tickets to go to a Depeche Mode concert, <laughs> and like, you know, it was so not who I was, and it was kind of really kind of pathetic. And I'm glad, and you know, of course, I'm glad today it didn't work out with her. But I, one of the great regrets of my life, it truly is not just accepting what she told me and just move and move on. You know, it would have saved you know a lot of dignity, uh, and it maybe I would have met my wife sooner if I had not been so stubborn.
1: Yeah, I think for me it was. Probably trying to not, I don't know, well, I, you know, was dating in the age of social media, so posting pictures for that time Facebook was the most popular thing. Instagram didn't exist yet, people. (laughs) Um, But, you know, trying to post pictures like, ooh, is a girl going to like this and stuff? Like, I was thinking in those terms, am I presenting myself as attractive or cool or whatever? And ultimately, it, it turned out just to be kind of funny. And embarrassing. <laughs> um, so just looking back and wishing I hadn't done that. But then again, to say like when people are just posting weird pictures of themselves and not thinking like who's gonna see this? Um, you know, we did a post on Balance a while ago about how to spruce up your social you know profile a little bit. That's not a bad thing. Um, but at the same time, don't don't try to act cool just because you're looking for someone or think they'll find it cool. Because the odds are they probably won't.
0: Yeah. So what you're saying is I shouldn't have that photo up of me eating French onion dip out of the tub? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) lesson learned. Okay, Jessica, you and me still being single, what does it look like for you to be content? What does that definition mean for you right now? You talked about contentment earlier. And then are you telling people still that you want to be married like what's your mo on that how are you doing both
2: oh yeah i mean i i don't think i make it any sort of secret with my friends that i would love to be married someday um but i've also kind of come to terms with the fact that if i never get married there is still so much ministry that you can do as a single person um i remember there was this older woman at a church that i attended for a while 70 some years old, never been married, um and she was kind of the church welcoming committee and she made it a point anytime there was someone new to introduce them, get to know them and she would get them plugged in whether that was meeting a certain person or getting into a certain group and some of the people she introduced ended up getting married. And I and I think that that's that's a form of ministry um that, you know, isn't you it isn't exclusive to single people, but I think it is kind of unique to single people in that We do have that that read on people Um, and, you know, single people will set up other single people with other Mm -hmm. single people. And so um, I think that's kind of where I've I've landed in my my journey of wanting marriage, but like being okay if it never happens for me.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a good point, and I think I've gotten to the point where, you know, y'all know I'm a big fan of the setup. I'm totally cool with that, and I think you need to be willing to be set up and don't be like, oh, it's just my private business. Well, you know what? You're going to be single. So, but (laughs) that said, I also feel like I've become much more comfortable with, like, Yeah, you know, tell me about this person or introduce me to this person without thinking that every setup has to like be the end game, you know, like, oh, my goodness, this is probably the person or, you know, you're only hopefully, you know, God willing, you're only going to get married once you only need to find one person. So don't put that crazy pressure on yourself of like like you know to paul's point shoehorning yourself into a a persona that is not you so i think that's uh you know good advice from you guys thank you guys so much i thought this was a fun discussion hopefully those of you listening can take it over now uh to social and we will talk about this you got to give your ideas of what has and hasn't worked for you and how are you just able to admit your desire for marriage and still be okay with where you are so thanks y'all for weighing in
2: thank you thanks lisa thanks lisa
0: Love so deep you jump right in and just keep falling
4: Love so high all the stars can't comprehend And love so wide
1: east and west can't wrap their minds around it Your
4: love is bound
0: So high, all the stars can't
1: comprehend. Love so.
0: All right, folks, for today's uh, culture segment, this week's culture segment for the show, I get to introduce you to Tim Ross. He is a pastor in Irving, Texas, uh, but also an author and a speaker and someone who is uh, very interested in Uh, really digging into the lives of uh, folks who want to follow Christ and the world uh, around him and what that looks like as far as uh, being an influencer in there. Uh, He's the pastor of Embassy City Church in Irving, Uh, started preaching at a pretty young age. So this is one of those like, hey, young adults, you know, just start preaching at age 20 like he did, I guess. Um, (laughs) And We'll go from there. But Tim, welcome (laughs) to The Boundless Show.
4: Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be here with you.
0: Awesome. Well, we're going to talk a little bit uh, today, kind of what I, what I mentioned there is uh, a lot of what you cover in your book, Upset the World, which is brand new, uh, out. And uh, it was funny because I was like, okay, what does that mean? You know, I mean, we know that uh, Paul was referred to in the New Testament and the, and the apostles there uh, turning the world upside down. But then I was like, oh, dear, I hope Tim's not just wanting to get people angry because aren't we angry enough? Um, as it is right. in, our, in our culture. So, um, you know, and, and really, that is true. I mean, we just came off of a year where, aside from a, a you know, world shifting pandemic, uh, we were talking about this not too long ago here at Boundless of like, what are the things we had to address, we had to dive into everything from a pandemic to um, race and critical race theory, to Pride Month, to a crazy election. I mean, it's like pick your poison as to what you want to get angry about, what you want to get flustered about, frustrated, uh, distrust God on. And uh, you actually kind of define, I, I want you to set the stage by defining upset as you use it in the book and what it looks like for Christians to actually upset things.
4: Absolutely, Lisa. So you're absolutely right. Uh, You know, this book came out in May of 2020 (laughs) amidst the pandemic, going straight into uh, uh, racial tensions, going straight into political tensions, um, uh, civil tensions. It, It was just a tense time. The word upset by definition simply means to turn over. In our colloquialism, uh, in our idioms, it's come to mean I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm I'm aggravated. But by definition, it literally means to just turn over. And when you look at Acts seventeen six, where I got the uh, uh, inspiration for the book from, it says that Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. In the Greek, that literally meant to turn over, to turn upside down. And so it says Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world. It turned the whole world upside down. And now they are here disturbing our city, too. What was awesome about that is that there, there was this kind of exaggeration and um, uh, uh, prophetic moment all at the same time. They literally hadn't gone all over the world, but prophetically they were going to because it's 2,000 years later and this message is still upsetting people's lives, mm-hmm. uh, just like it was in the first century.
0: yeah and it's interesting because even though you're saying you know the call of the christian isn't to upset people in the sense of like say something crazy so they just get mad at you and think you're a jerk it it can be uh interpreted as you know because clearly uh paul made some enemies so you can you can say things that are true you can represent christ you can even love other people and have them not be happy about it um which i think is Is interesting, and and I think a lot of us Christians will say, you know, we'll kind of give this, like, weak attempt at, like, okay, well, I want to love other people and stuff, but don't you feel like at our core, many of us think, okay, well, there are some people I just can't love because they're too hard to love, or they're unlovable, or they don't want to be loved. What do we do in the face of that kind of situation?
4: You know, I've I've tried within the pages of the book to get people— uh, to become comfortable with confrontation, uh, uh, and there's there's a lot of people that don't like the word. But again, I'm a wordsmith. I, I, I speak for a living. Words mean a lot to me. And one of one of my favorite definitions for confront means to face forward on the obstacle that's in front of you. And so, anytime I'm talking to anybody about my faith, uh, and and there seems to be maybe a disagreement. I just try to get them to face forward on the thing I'm actually talking about. I'm not mad at them. Uh, uh, I don't want them to be upset with me, but I do want us both to face forward on the thing that we are talking about. And I think if more people got comfortable uh, with confrontation, uh, you would actually see stronger relationships being built.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You actually give, I would love for you to tell that example you use in the book, I think you call the woman Mary, um, a coworker, and really how you had to (laughs) talk about, I mean, it wasn't just like, well, I'm going to quote, try to be nice to her. You actually had to access the Holy Spirit for guidance in how to love well. Tell us that story.
4: Yeah, so uh, there was this very nice, petite, strong woman named Mary, the name I give her in the uh, book, who... Um, was very, very hard. She was um, difficult to work with. She, she had um, made a stressful environment in the workplace, and everybody was intimidated of her. And I got hired at, at the company and and came across her personality, and I just thought, man, um, no one gets to be that hard by themselves. She's had some things in life that, is, that have caused her to be like this especially for it to be so prevalent in, the, in a workplace environment. So we just started praying. We, we got there early in the morning. We started uh, uh, praying, and uh, I, was, I, I have a, a Pentecostal background, so I was getting the extra virgin olive oil and <laughs> putting little dabs of oil all over the, all over the uh, uh, office place. And uh, within a couple of weeks, um, we saw a significant change in her attitude. And uh, several months later, she actually gave her life to the Lord. It doesn't always happen like that, but, but in every situation, I think that whether it's positive or negative, God's trying to get something out of us. And if we would just show up and do what we are assigned to do as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, uh, I trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest of it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think so often we, you know, and again, just as we were talking about reviewing this past year and many of the contentious issues that are out there, you know, oftentimes we say to ourselves, well, the best way to love others in this situation is just to not bring anything up don't rock the boat, don't act like you disagree, Mm -hmm. don't act like there's a biblical standard for anything, why would you say that for the believer who really wants to evidence Christ and even grow in their own faith and in their own trust of of God's work in their life, why is this ultimately unhelpful?
4: Because, um, first of all, if we're going to talk about love, um, I, I don't feel like you can adequately love someone until you can risk offending them this is something that Christ did for us. We know in John 3:16 it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But in him giving his son, uh it offended a lot of people. They didn't like the way he showed up. He 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 didn't come fulfilling the expectations that uh the Jews had, and he surely wasn't fulfilling an expectation that the Gentiles didn't even have. And so um everything about Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection um, is confrontational. It's, it's, it's love up front. This is why he came full of grace and truth, because when love shows up, it's, it's best received full of grace and truth. And even then, it can still get you killed. <laughs> uh, this is something that Jesus went through. I think for us, again, becoming comfortable with confrontation and then showing up and saying, I don't love you unless I tell you the truth. And the truth is not a doctrine. It's not an opinion. It's actually a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so when I show up with the truth, I show up talking about a person. And as an ambassador of Jesus, I do so in a diplomatic way where I present him. I can't convince anybody of anything. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts uh uh so so, my job's not to convince anybody. My job is to actually show up and with love, grace, and truth present the gospel to them,
0: yeah, um yeah, another question I have for you is is kind of this idea along those lines for the Christian themselves is you know sometimes we could easily look around us and say wow, Christians are some of the biggest drags around. Like some, I mean, they're they're angry, they are discouraged, they are, you know, but really, we should be the most joyful people. If we truly believe that God has accomplished what we needed him to accomplish for not only our current life, but for our eternal hope and salvation, we should be freed up to get crazy and lavish in our love Why aren't we, and what's a way for us to actively turn that around personally and within the church?
4: It's such a great question that you asked, Lisa, because uh, one of the eye-opening things uh, for me uh, in 2020 uh, was how many believers in Jesus uh, didn't have a heavy anchor in the Word of God. And so what I found last year is a lot of frustration from believers because they were so influenced by culture that it was actually shaping, and in many ways, unfortunately, reshaping their theology. And uh, as a result, uh, you had people that were not showing up with love, that were not showing up with grace, uh, that forgot all the passages that said to try to live peaceably with all people. Uh, They forgot all the passages that said pray for those that despitefully use you and pray for your enemies and love your enemies. Uh, 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 it, 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 it really uh, was enlightening and in many ways disappointing to see how much culture had disrupted so many believers uh, and shaken their faith. My encouragement uh, is to uh, have a hard reset. This is one of the things I taught at our church last year. To have a, to have a hard reset, like with a cell phone, would mean to like, completely wipe it and it would be reset to the manufacturer settings uh, before you took it and downloaded all the apps to it. And if a hard reset for a believer was, it would be to get back to our first love, falling in love with Jesus, reading the word, uh, resting in the truth of scripture, and uh, enjoying a connection through praise and worship and prayer. That sounds like the most fundamental thing that. Everyone should all, already be doing, but again, uh, in, in such a year like 2020 was, um, I saw a lot of people get away from the very foundations and tenets of their faith, and it disrupted a lot of people's joy in the process.
0: Yeah, It just seems like something that we could, you know, it would help so much if we could call that out in each other, because I think too often we make excuses of like, you know, for some it might be, well, my personality is just that I'm a fearful person, so I can't trust God. Like for me, it would be, you know, for me, Tim, it's my personality is I'm a controller. And as long as other people just act and behave the right way, then I'm all cool (laughs) with them. I would love it if there was like a scripture about that, that would legitimize that behavior in me because I haven't found it yet. And I'm very upset about that. Right. But um, <laughs> but it's like, you know, OK, clearly, you know, and you actually talk through, you know, this is a little you alluded to this a little bit. Uh, you, you actually refer to disturbing the peace, P-I-E-C-E. Huh. Um, in the book, Expl- yes. explain a little bit of what that means, because, you know, we're in a culture that's canceling people. Um, you know, we're yep. we're in a culture that's just like, I don't want to deal with it. I want my own truth. I want to just cuddle with the people that agree exactly like, you know, with, with my tenets and whatever. Where, where are we going to do this differently as believers?
4: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Lisa, because disturbing the peace uh, is, is just that we need to disturb the peace, P I E C E, the peace of the person that might be out of alignment with God, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. Uh, so, uh, to your point, when when somebody says, "Hey, my personality is just I'm a I'm a timid, fearful person," well, there's a scripture that says, "Fear not," <laughs> right? And and they don't and read then, that one. Somebody that says, <laughs> "Right," they don't read that one. They're, yeah. they're very selective in their in their scripture devotional time. Uh, But then someone like you who says, hey, I like to control things, and then there's verses that say that we need to give up our control. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's people like me who are introverts and would rather not be bothered, (laughs) right, Mm -hmm. by anybody Mm -hmm. except nature, right? And then it says, no, we have to literally show ourselves friendly. So when when we take into consideration the full counsel of Scripture, it's going to disturb the piece of us that doesn't want to line up with God's will, his, his, his word, his command. And not all of it is blatant or overt sin. A lot of it just disrupts the way we would love to comfort ourselves. And God and Scripture is constantly pulling us out of our comfort zones uh, so that we can be more like him, not more like us.
0: Yeah. So walk through a practical example of this, especially when it's not, you know, I mean, if you're a Christian and you're inviting someone to speak into your life and you're like, hey, I asked for it, whatever. But talk about, I mean, you actually share in the book the story of you engaging with a couple of your aunts who identify as lesbian. I mean, I I can't imagine you're just sitting down with them like, hey, auntie, let's talk about you being a lesbian because I'm I want to, I want to just push <laughs> push back on that a little bit. I mean, what is that? How do you love them and yet still speak truth into that situation?
4: Yeah, so so I've i when I train uh, like my young um, mentees who who are preachers and teachers of the gospel, I always tell them, hey, we have good news for the unbeliever, and we actually have bad news for the believer. The problem is we've been switching up the messages. The good news we have for unbelievers is Jesus loves you, and he died for you. The bad news we actually have for believers, Lisa, is that now you have to die for him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm
5: -hmm.
4: What we've been doing lately is giving bad news to unbelievers, right? And we've been giving good news to believers. You're fine now. Everything's going to be great. God's going to answer all your prayers, and everything's going to be fine. And we're telling the world, those that don't believe in Jesus yet, hey, God doesn't love you. Until you get right, then, then there's nothing for you. And so I just, I just tried to keep the main thing the main thing, right? With my aunt, none of them have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. So the, the love that I give them, where they are right now, is that Jesus loves you. He'll accept you just as you are right now. If you come into a relationship with him, understanding that if you say yes to him, he's going to ask you to change. Hmm. I think if we just start telling people the truth up front of what a life as a believer in Jesus is really about, people can make a decision with their eyes wide open. And when they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't feel like a bait and switch.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And and reminding them, too, that the what you get as your exchange for coming into the family of God is a new heart that enables you to change. That's correct. Yeah.
4: That's absolutely correct. It's not, it's not something you do on your own. It's not willpower. It's actually his power that allows us to live a transformed life.
0: Yeah, yeah, so true with that. Okay, so give us a little picture of what this is looking like in North Texas, because I know, I mean, here you are, you know, you're <laughs> You're pastoring, you've got a family, you've got like, what does it look like when someone gets up, you know, on a Wednesday and they're like, I want to live out my faith today and I want to trust God with the the fears, the issues that I have, the people in my life, you know, again, because it's all good if we're just hanging out by ourselves and we're not rubbing up against anyone. But what, you know, right. wh- what would you say for that person that wants to like leave this interview today and be like, I already know two relationships I need to apply this to, mm. I already know that I mm-hmm. haven't, I haven't, I have coworkers that don't even know I'm a Christian, let alone what it means to be right. a Christian. What are next steps for folks? Right.
4: Yeah. I'm, I, I'm all into people finding practical ways to engage with the Holy spirit to upset people's world on a day-to-day basis. So that might be as small as praying, uh, uh, and asking the Lord, would you lead me to a coworker you want me to bless today? And it may be as simple as buying them lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, it may be uh, praying for somebody that that may have a faith in the Lord or doesn't know, doesn't believe in God at all. But you saw that they broke their arm, and you just say, "Hey, would you be opposed to me praying for you?" When you when you ask questions and you put it in the negative, you find out a lot more than trying to get a yes out of people. Um, so on a, on a micro level, there, there's so many practical things you can do, pumping somebody's gas, uh, uh, paying for somebody's lunch, asking somebody, can you pray for them, uh, giving a word of encouragement. Um, we don't need to make it, um, you know, a crazy experience, but God may put something on your heart and you just walk up to somebody and say, you know what, you just perceive me to be the type of person that uh, uh, really cares about others. And that's just something that if you didn't pay attention to, I wanted you to know today. And you'll just see their whole face light up. They don't need to know it was a word of knowledge that you got from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. if you just step out, the Holy Spirit will start using you in ways that you never thought possible. One of the things we did last year uh, before uh, the pandemic kind of shut us down is uh, the Lord laid it on our heart to— um, pay for breakfast uh, on Valentine's Day weekend at one of our favorite uh, places. It's two miles from the church. It's owned by a, a group of, um, uh, it's owned by an Albanian family that uh, don't believe in Jesus. But we came in and we uh, gave $11,000 and paid for everyone that came in to eat that day. And we gave all the wait staff great tips and the chefs as well. These people wept and they cried. And they open up their hearts to the gospel. And many of them started uh, uh, attending our church or watching online after we shut down. And all we did was open up their hearts with kindness. Yeah. If yeah. we would be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit and be open to the little nudges that He gives us, we would upset people's world every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I love what you say of just pause and just ask the holy spirit to show you that next step you know i love how because again this is where people get tripped up and have to be reminded that it is not on you you obey god does the work it's not a personality thing this is not an introvert extrovert thing like all the extroverts you're responsible for evangelism so you go out there and the introverts you (laughs) just sit at home and sulk Um, yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) it's great. God has uniquely equipped all of us to do this in, in his power and, uh, and with the Mm -hmm. gifts we've been given. So such a good, such a good word on that. Okay, folks. Um, the book is upset the world. I've been talking to Tim Ross. Uh, this is a great shot in the arm. If you, you know, here we are, we're in 2021. I know you all have tried to forget 2020, and that's fine, <laughs> whatever, but God has something new for you today, as you're looking ahead to this week, this month, beyond what is God calling you to do? Who are the people that He has uniquely placed them in your life uh, for you to be uh to bear witness to, and so we want to encourage you to do this, and so um again. Uh, The book is Upset the World. Uh, We want you to know about it, and we're going to have a link to it. And so um, we're just excited, Tim, that you're here talking about this, that you're living it out right where you are, and that we can learn from you in the process. So thank you so much.
4: Thank you, Lisa. It's been a joy to be on with you.
0: as we finish out the show, we open up our inbox and we have got counselor John Thorrington here. Hey, John.
5: Hi, good to be here.
0: Good to have you here. Um, okay. I think one thing we talk about a lot here at the boundless show is just how we, trust god with decisions which with stuff that maybe you know hurts in our life things that we're trying to process and this listener is asking a question around that uh, saying when it feels like there's no clear answer from god concerning the next step how does one proceed in life while the ache of an unanswered question looms over your heart
5: yeah, I think the first thing I would try to check is my own heart and what's going on in my heart. Am I feeling that the, uh, sad? Is there depression? What's going on in my heart? I want to make sure my heart is open to God. Mm. When we're going through a hard time like you're describing, I want the listener to know we care about them. That's a difficult place to be. I think most people can identify with it and say, hey, I've been there before. But I think the important thing is to make sure our hearts are open to God.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And also kind of the idea of, you know, I I feel them when they're saying, you know, the ache of an unanswered question. And I feel like, you know, usually God's going to say, yes, no, wait, you know, and it could be just one of the, I I love how, um, I think it was John Piper who said, you know, God's always doing 10,000 things in your life. You may be aware of three of them. So don't think that (laughs) silence or implied silence means that he's not doing anything. Absolutely. so what are there, are there things that folks can kind of um, do or like, how do they move forward instead of feeling stuck in, I don't have this answer, so I can't do anything else in life in the meantime?
5: I think realize that that's a time that there's an opportunity for you to let the Lord know your trust in him and to keep your spiritual eyes open to, Lord, what's really going on here? Be patient with that. He may not reveal it in our own timing, but be Do be patient and understand that God is always up to something, and he wants to reveal his love to us in some real way. So I would say be open to that. I was thinking about a passage in Job the other day, and this is what Job said. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Hmm. I know in my own life, I'm trying to say, Lord, whether I call that good or bad, I really do want to be open to what you're doing. And I know and believe you're always up to something good for all of your children.
0: Yeah, I think it's also been helpful for me just to look back on things like seasons in my life when I really felt the silence of God and then realizing Mm -hmm. that, maybe in an unexpected way an answer came about or certainly not in the timing I expected. And to realize that, okay, Lisa, just hang in there, trust God, he knows what he's up to. It's so easy for me to wanna put things in my construct and have him act on my timetable.
5: well, it's interesting. I was going back and looking at John 11. Remember the story of Mary and Martha, they send news to Jesus, he's a little distance away, but he waits two days before he comes back. And then when he greets them, he's moved to tears by their loss. But he knew what he was going to do, so he was so impacted by that, but he wanted them to learn that God was always up to something. And so he waited two days, why? Because God had a greater revelation to bring about. It's interesting. Ask somebody a question like, like this. Does God reveal himself more in the times when you're feeling down and low or when life is just going along even and smoothly? And I've never had anybody say, oh yeah, God reveals himself more when things are even smoothly. Yeah. And I'm not saying I want to invite those bumpy roads or those hard times of silence, but those are times pregnant with opportunity and God wants us to put our faith and our trust in him in those moments.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's good because it's like, you know, it's not that God's not showing up. It's that in the good times, usually we're kind of off doing our own thing, <laughs> like, oh, it's all good and stuff. And so yeah. I think that fact uh, in the story, you know, with Mary and Martha, that he, he is simultaneously knowing the outcome, but also entering into their grief is very helpful.
5: Absolutely. Or think about Job, all the losses the man went through, absolutely everything. And then he's asking God for an answer, demanding an answer. And eventually the Lord says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? I'm starting going, ah, you got me on that one, God. You know, mm-hmm. but at that point, he's silent. And he's realizing, you know, God, you are worthy of being trusted.
0: Yep. Yeah, That's so true. All right. Well, we can definitely lean into God's word and remember his promises and, uh, and take one step at a time. That's all we got in front of us. So, John, thank you so much. Well, for thank you in on that. All right, folks. uh, Well, that is it for this week's show. Um, Hey, if you have not uh, followed us on social media yet, we would love it if you would pop over specifically to our Facebook and Instagram pages and uh, just add us to your follows because, you know... The team, specifically James, is always putting great stuff out there that's helpful and funny and just is going to connect you with great resources. And it's also an opportunity for us to be a community with one another and encourage one another in the process of moving through adulthood. So uh, find us over at Boundless Team and uh, we will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The
3: Boundless Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org.
2: Focus on the family.